The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, let's go through it, I guess. Uh, the five stages of grief concerning one Damian Lillard. The time has come, folks. Uh, Dame has officially asked to be traded from the Portland Trailblazers. I wish I could tell you that that was a lie, but that is actually the truth, and he only has one destination in mind. Weird how things can change so fast from I'll go to any place where I can contend. I'll only go to Miami, but of course we'll get into that. We get into the winners, losers, and the big question marks of free agency. So much to cover. Uh, Goodbye, Nurkic. Goodbye. Goodbye. So much to cover. Buckle up because we'll be here a while. Nick, do me a favor and drop that motherfucking beat. It should be Rihanna. Okay, so let's do it. I don't want to. I don't want to acknowledge it. Everyone and their mom is asking me about Dame Lillard. They know that I'm not only from Portland, shout out to my roots, Benson High School, Harriet Tubman Middle School, Applegate Elementary, those are my stripes, Uh, but I am also a hardcore Damian Lillard stan. I have bled the pinwheel since I was four years old when Mama Crick had a satellite dish in Humboldt County, California, and showed me all about Clyde the Glide Drexler. So I have some thoughts about the situation. Um, So many, I don't even really know what to say about it. I've gone through uh, the five stages of grief. Uh, I'm going through the stages of a breakup. Uh, I thought the best way to explain the situation and how it's impacted Blazers media fans and now obviously the entire league taking the nation by storm because we're all on fucking Dame Watch is just to walk you through the process, really. Um, And we'll start with the beginning. Number one was denial. I thought this day would never come with Damian Lillard. I thought he would retire a blazer. He went on Showtime and he gave his list of possible destinations if he were someday, hypothetically, maybe going to ask out. And he had two very easy answers right away. I probably should have thought, wow. like It's like when you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they're like, who at your work would you fuck? And you're like, I would never fuck. But Johnny, if I could fuck any of them, it'd be Johnny. It's like, how'd you have that? The Brooklyn, Miami. I don't know if I'll ever ask out, but Brooklyn, Miami are, are the two. 
Um, so when he went on Showtime and they asked him, do you think you'll be in a Blazer uniform come opening season? Maybe what Dame thought is yes, because they're going to hold me hostage until I go where I want to go. So maybe that's what that was. Um, I actually thought for a long time he would retire a Blazer and we would all grow to resent one another. I, I thought that was a possibility as well. Um, after all, he's given a dozen interviews saying he was ten toes down. Remember when Dame said he was embracing the heart of a samurai? <laughs> and that he was going he was going to battle? Find that article on The Athletic, would you? He, he's gotten married, he found God, he had two kids, and he's embracing the heart of a samurai. So he's no longer concerned with contending because it's important that he contends with the team that drafted him. What happened with that? That samurai shit uh, went out the window fast, didn't it? Um, so it's not like I was delusional. He did give us all kinds of reasons that he would stay. I bought into it. I think Dame's an honest person. He seemed content. As Jason Quick pointed out in a recent Athletic article, which I think is excellent. If you don't uh, subscribe to The Athletic, let me know. Uh, DM me and I'll just copy and paste it for you in DMs. <laughs> fuck it. Uh, but no one really was consulted in this article. Jason Quick, Quick lays it out. Nobody was more consulted along the way than Damian Lillard. Everything that the Blazers did, even when it was Neil Trash as Machismo Olshe, Dame was involved and uh, kept in the loop on pretty much everything. He was kept in the loop. By the way, the article is so shady. It's incredible. He was kept in the loop on, like, when the team plane would leave. Like, he was controlling every aspect of the team. He was like Kawhi Leonard in his first year with the Clippers where it's like, no, this visitor's training room is actually, like, where I change. It was like that. Anyway, you would think that the fact that he knew what was going on and Signed off on when everything that was going on would mean that he was happy. He was in control. He was, he he signed off on Evan fucking Turner. He signed off on Al Farouk Aminu. He signed off on Mo Bamba. No, not Mo Bamba. What's the other one? Mo Harkless. Could could you be Mo Harkless? He signed off on them. He signed off on a team that was largely terrible, but they still went to the Western Conference Finals in 2019. And so thinking of that, uh, it brought me to anger. Thinking of the fact that Dame told us he wouldn't leave and that he was embracing the heart of a lion and samurai and that he was consulted on everything that the Blazers did, I got mad. I immediately, the second step was anger. Um, not really at Dame, but just at the process, I guess, just at the team for waiting this long to have any sense of urgency. I got mad at the media for basically waiting until the submarine was ready to implode to be like, hey, get out. You shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> you know? It's like, yo, it's a little fucking late, okay? Like, we're talking about drafting Dame's replacement because we know it's the end. So, you know, d forgive me for saying like, Hey, throw off your life raft and give it to your friend. Like, no. Uh, there was zero chance that the first big move of Joe Cronin's tenure was ever going to be trading Dame. 
And then the second worst decision that he could have made was to trade that third pick once they got the third pick and it ended up being Scoot Henderson. Both of those were fireable offenses. Joe Cronin had to do what he was hired to do, protect the team's best interest, try to build somewhat of a two-timeline approach, uh, and sometimes the best interests don't intersect with Dame's interest even though they did say we are trying to build a winner around Dame. But the caveat to that, fans, media, whoever, who are saying that Joe Cronin's a liar, is like, yeah, we're building a contender around Dame so as long as it doesn't fuck us in the process. Like, that's obvious. In any business, that caveat should just be assumed. If you need that spelled out for you, see, I'm already mad. See, I'm already mad. That's just how that works. So... I was mad that the media and fans are blaming Cronin, that they were taking Dame's side, that they were saying, oh, well, if you just would have traded the pick, then maybe Dame would have stayed. Yeah, maybe the team would have been dog shit too, and Dame would have still asked out. Also, he waited for Jeremy Grant to get his bag, and then he asked out. I, I just don't really understand. But what really pissed me off was the fact that these people still believe that Scoot Henderson could have turned into, like, Jalen Brown or Paul George or whatever, Mikhail Bridges. What do you want from these people when you know as a team that the opposing team has no leverage and their star player is, like, ready to scoot? No pun intended. Uh, he's like, well, we'll just wait for him to move on out and maybe we can get him. They weren't exactly, like, lining up to keep Dame happy. The Portland media, by the way, is the worst. They they really are. Um, but as, as I am in the process and as I am right now, the anger does somewhat burn out like a candle. And one, when it did, it was time for some bargaining. I was only at this stage for like a second. I debated uh, about whether it would be best to just send Dame where he wanted. Just send him to Miami. Fuck it. I guess we'll figure out what to do with Tyler Hero. And then I remembered that nothing that happens will make me not love Dame and care about Dame's success because he gave us Portland fans really a lot of good memories. He's not maybe the best Blazer ever. He, it's arguable that he is, but he's absolutely the most beloved Blazer ever. We fell head over heels for Dame, and he gave us moments that these other players never gave us. The wave, the mean mug, the step back in Paul George's face, just the bye-bye, the baby rock, just the in Harden's face, go home, ending multiple franchises. But at the same time that I love Dame, I think I love Scoot maybe more. I, I've seen what Scoot can do. And there's things Scoot can do at 19 years old, 18 years old. Dame can't do at 33. Dame never will do, like, I don't know, a pocket pass. Shaden, also in love. So the Scoot-Shaden combo is just something that I'm very excited about. And once we get some assets for Dame, maybe we'll contend faster than Dame will. Wouldn't that be a shame? And then the thought of the Blazers front office getting into a pissing match with Dame and then the t town turning on Dame really did start to make me sad. Depression started to weigh on me. Um, it's such a Portland thing 
to get two generational picks in two years and scoot and sharp and still feel like shit. Like that's that's like where we are, you know? It's like we're sad because we have to actually do the thing that we know is best for us in the long run because it's making us sad and we've got to let someone go in the process. I think really if Dame would have stayed around three more years, this team could have been, could have gone two roads. This team could have been the best in the West or we could just be sitting at 10th place and Dame could erode and get salty and turn into the guard version of LaMarcus Aldridge. And then finally, I I got into um, acceptance. Uh, I've come to accept there's a few things about this sad situation. No players are loyal except for Steph Curry, and Steph Curry has won four rings. So without the rings, maybe Steph Curry's Damian Lillard. And I'm not entirely sure that at the end of Steph Curry's contract, he might not want to go and chase another one see what happens in another city, find another way to keep uh, low-income people out of a new neighborhood it is. Uh, two, deep cut, if you don't know what I'm talking about. It, Dame is 100% gone. It's in the back of your mind you think, maybe he'll wake up and, and not be angry. Maybe he'll wake up and say, you know what, psych, I changed my mind. But that ship, folks, is sailed. Aaron Goodwin wants Dame to go to one place and one place only, which is Miami. He's played his last game in red and black. Wait, maybe not. Actually, that's the Miami Heat colors, too. Um, And now he's on to other greener or sandier pastures. I believe, three, that Joe Cronin will hold out for the best deal possible, and I accept that. That might mean angering Dame. I accept that that might mean angering potential free agents that never will come here anyway. I, I, I know that that will anger potential free agents or draft picks that we never get to land. The truth is, if you are Scoot and Shaden, those are the only two people I care about now. And I think Scoot and Shaden are quite happy with uh, sending Dame away for multiple picks and assets that they can have help them right now. I don't think that they're hoping to get the worst potential deal to surround them with players uh, that do not help them win games. And uh, Jason Quick wrote this in his article that that he thinks that Portland fans accept that Dame has to go and that they will root him on as he chases a ring. I am not one of those people, actually. I actually am rooting for Dame to never win a ring because that's just what it is. I don't want him to go and find that happiness anywhere else. Uh, He can find professional happiness in a new grind, but I do not want to see the Miami Heat and Pat Riley and Rafters and Streamers and Jimmy Butler finally end up. I do not want to see that at all. That would make me sad. I wish him all the best in his future endeavors, but not a ring. Bring on Scoot and Shaden, and we'll see what happens next. That's the end of the Dame saga. I'm tired of these folks. Can we just get the trade done with, over with? Like, send them to San Antonio. (laughs) 
So free agency has come and basically gone, and it was um, it wasn't it wasn't great. Let's be real, like it was a little underwhelming. All of the Dame news kind of dominated the trade deadline, uh, or the free agency moratorium. We all remember 2019, don't we? The glory days. Seven All Stars in 2019 changed teams via free agency. Many of them changed teams in the middle of Summer League. This year, just one, a fringe All-Star in Fred Van Fleet, who got an egregious amount of money in Houston. I want everyone to get overpaid, but boy, oh boy, is 40-something million dollars a year for Fred Van Fleet a lot of money. No less than eight teams had max or near max money to spend. Three others could have made up and gotten to a max money to spend by not re-signing their players. A full third of the league had max money available for reagents, and you know what they did? They did absolutely nothing. Nothing. What's going on? Free agency is dead. Long live trade season. Long live tampering. That's what's going on. Uh, the Athletics' John Hallinger, who I really like a lot, he's brilliant. He wrote an equally brilliant article that summed up pretty much my thoughts on the death of free agency. He pointed out that everyone is pointing at the new CBA as a reason that there aren't flashy free agent moves like there once was. And in fact, though, it was the last CBA that we are reaping the terrible benefits from. That CBA loosened restrictions on expiring contracts and brought us into the era of the Supermax extension. And as a result, no one wants to leave because the extension's too big, which is why going back, I don't give a fuck how they treat the Damian Lillard trade because if we have $290 million to pay over five years to Shaden, it'll probably be like $380 million by the time he's a free agent. You're like, well, it's either $380 or $120. I guess I'll stay. I guess I stay. So that was how that CBA works is that you get the Supermax extension only from the team that drafts you and they can't trade you for another full 12 months. And as a result... No superstars even reach free agency anymore. They say, well, you know what I'll do? I'll just sign the Supermax, and then in a, in a year I'll ask out. Look at Dame, $60 million a year, asks out literally one year later. 2019 was the last gasp of the old free agent world. This season, the only teams to not adjust to the new reality were Houston, who signed Van Fleet and Dylan Brooks to big contracts, but listen, they're desperate, and Toronto. Uh, who bizarrely acts like losing free agency for nothing is like what they're supposed to do. That's like, well, that's what it is. Yeah. This is like, we just don't trade them when they're on an expiring and then they leave for nothing. That's like, that's it. That's how it goes. Instead, though, we got teams like Indiana who used a ton of cap space to buy and purchase or tr- sign Bruce Brown, the bell of the ball. And everybody was like, why? Why is Bruce Brown getting over $20 million per year from the Indiana Pacers? But here's where it gets really interesting. Cap space rules in the new CBA is how we got to that signing. Got to give a little love to Chad Buchanan, GM for the Indiana Pacers. Very smart guy. Makes very shrewd moves. So he signs Bruce Brown on a two-year deal. But get this. Team option in the second year, baby. 
which means that Bruce Brown is only on a one-year, which means he's on an expiring, which means what? He's a trade chip. He's a $20 million trade chip, which gets you either multiple pieces back or it gets you another valuable piece that you actually think is worth $20 million in return. Maybe you send him to a contender uh, at the deadline and thinks that Bruce Brown's the final piece for them to win a chip. Orlando did a similar thing with Joe Ingles. Very smart. Very enticing moves. They're basically just racking up and using their cap space to create a little war chest. Hollinger said it best. Cap space isn't cool anymore. The dream of an all-star free agent signing is impossible if none of them ever become free agents in the first place. As a result, teams will need to think a lot more strategically about what max-type cap room even means anymore and what options are truly viable for franchises in that position. Many of them got 50 cents on their cap room dollar this year, and with so few genuine stars hitting free agency, I'm not sure the ROI is even going to improve in coming seasons. I agree. That being said, this new free agency was kind of fun, nonetheless, because it's a lot more strategic. When you got guys signing Bruce Brown at $20 million, you're like, who are they targeting? Like, who do you want that's getting paid $20 million? Do you want a traded player exception for next offseason? What are you up to? Because you're up to something. When it was just free agents getting paid max money and you knew that they wanted them and then they signed them, that's kind of boring. This is like Game of Thrones. That being said, I think that's going to make parody and strategy and brilliance even more paramount moving forward. Uh, so what I want to do is go over who I think made good moves, who I think made moves that I'm not so sure are good, but they were moves, uh, and then strange moves that I think are pretty bad. I think they're pre pretty bad moves, but I could be wrong. And then, like, can't judge your moves. Let's start with the good moves. We gave a little shine to them, the Indiana Pacers. They lead the list. I don't know how my guy Buck, Chad Buchanan, keeps flying under the radar, but what he's doing in Indiana is is really, really interesting. I'll do a full segment on the full ways that he's revamped this roster with just a few different trades and in the draft. But Pacers won free agency and the draft in a huge way. For starters, they give Tyrese Halliburton the absolute bag. Five years, fun max, $209 million. I think he deserves every cent. He might be the best passing point guard in the NBA. He is electric. He's the kind of superstar that you want to build your franchise around. A loyal one. Cough, cough, alert to Dame. Um, love him for this team. Seems like he loves the Midwest. And I think you building around a true point guard who, even though his shot is a little funny to look at, is still pure and he can make his teammates better, that's very rare these days. But the Pacers were not done. They signed Bruce Brown two years, $45 million. I explained why they did this. Second year is a team option. This is super strategic. It's a hell of a payday for a guy who was just making $6 million, but they are up to something. Bruce Brown as a, as a whole. And also on top of that, the Pacers needed to sign someone for that amount because of the, luck, because of the cap floor. Otherwise, then you end up losing money. Back to Bruce Brown, that he can shoot. He can rebound. He can pass. It's not uncommon for him to, for him to have nine rebounds and ten assists or 18 points, seven rebounds, seven assists. He can do a little bit of everything. He can play one through five. He can defend one through five. Legit. Six-four guy that died that play small five. That's what Brooklyn did with them. Played him in the playoffs as a small ball five or as a four. 
Just one of the best Swiss Army knives in the league. I really like him. And then the Pacers go out and get another athletic guy. OB Toppin. OB Toppin. Ain't no stopping. OB Toppin. So they end up getting him for two second round picks from the Knicks. By the way, Obi Toppin was a lottery player. He can hit threes. He's athletic, athletic as hell. He's versatile on offense and on defense. And he never really got a real role in New York. We don't even know what he can do. We have no idea. And now he has a shot to be in the rotation in a major way. He gets to play alongside Miles Turner in the front court, which helps him a lot. It helps his ability to get to the rim while also helping out Obi Toppin's defensive deficiencies. The Pacers are going to be a problem. The Pacers will be this year's Sacramento Kings. I'm not saying they're going to be the third team in the East, so pump your brakes. But I think they're a playoff team, and I think in the first round they make things difficult for whoever they play. And they're fun, and they're young, and they're building something real. And next year they're going to even have more cap space, so maybe they'll sign some other role player for two years and $45 million. Um, I think the draft picks with Shepard, Jarris Walker, on top of Ben Matherin and Andrew Nemhard from last year is going to be a fun-ass watch. This team's super young. Halleck's 23. Matherin's 21. Nemhard 23. Toppin, 25. Jarris Walker, 19. Jordan Awara, 24. Aaron Neesmith, 23. Jalen Smith, 23. Isaiah Jackson, 21. I mean, they only have a couple of guys with any age on the roster, and they're just kind of chilling. TJ McConnell, Buddy Heald, and Daniel Thice. We know that what they are. They're, don't worry about them. They're going to be gone at some point soon. <laughs> you need to think about just, just trade pieces, trade pieces. Um, kind of expensive ones, too. You package Daniel Tice, TJ McConnell, and Bruce Brown, and all of a sudden you got yourself $40 million in a trade. See what I'm saying? Anyway, let's move forward with Sacramento. I think they had one of the best free agent seasons as well. I know that a lot of fans are very sad that this team did not get Kyle Kuzma. Do not trip. Harrison Barnes at $18 million is a steal. You give Demonis Sabonis $217 million extension, and now you know you've locked down your center for the future. You've made him happy. You've kept him comfortable. And speaking of keeping him comfortable, you do a deal with the Indiana Pacers to bring his homie in, Chris Duarte, one of the guys who shot, I think, 40% on catch-and-shoot threes from Demonis Sabonis. That is a ton of stability. That is a ton of of respect for your star player. On top of that, there are people who are saying, well, you didn't need to pay Sabonis that much money. You didn't, you can't even take it. Like, get get out of here. This is Sacramento. Don't you understand how small markets are? You must overpay your superstars. That's how it is. Then, on top of that, the big free agent signing. Sasha Vazenkov, he signs a three-year, $20 million deal to bring him over from Europe, where he was... The reigning EuroLeague MVP, the reigning European Player of the Year this past season, 18-7-2, 40% from three. That Doesn't that make your whistle wet? Pause. 6-9 forward, pause. Nice. He's only 28. He's in the prime of his career. Adds depth to a team that could use it. They also... Like I said, get Harrison Barnes back, Trey Lyles back, Alex Len comes back, gives them depth at the center position. They move Rashawn Holmes so that they can do the deal for Sabonis, which I like as well. I like the draft picks that they've had. This has just been very exciting. Very exciting, very intriguing, and I think Monty McNair's not done. I think there's even more to do. You just have to stay tuned. He's the GM of the year for a reason. 
Up next is the Memphis Grizzlies. I think they also did a tremendous job. It's not easy when you've got issues in the clubhouse to try to make moves, but they bring in Marcus Smart first and foremost before free agency even really begins in the trade, which is to bring veteran leadership and tough, gritty persona to really be the big dog, big OG to John ja Morant. They signed Desmond Bain to a five-year, $207 million extension, which I absolutely like. If you don't like Desmond Bain, you don't know hoops. I do not care about his negative wingspan. He is a very tough defender. He shoots from he shoots well from three, pull-ups. He can do a little bit of everything. He can slash. He can rebound. He's a pretty good playmaker, and he's the backbone. He's a very, very good culture guy. They also add another veteran voice in the locker room in Derrick Rose. Uh, Derrick Rose is not the player that he once was after the surgery, but he can still give you 10 to 15 minutes of decent play. He's a good presence for the team that has lacked leadership. Rose returning home is a great story. It good symmetry for him. I think it's a very underrated signing during the free agency period. And they also add Josh Christopher in a deal that was part of the Chucker Brigade that was in H-Town. I like Josh Christopher coming off the bench. He's a bucket getter, and he's also a friend of John Morant's. But the team that I think made wine out of water, really like more like wine out of urine, is the Phoenix Suns. I did not know how it was going to be possible for them to fill this roster out, but they did. This is a team that had absolutely no wiggle room. It was just vet minimum after vet minimum. And so I was like, who who are you really going to get, though? What, what are you going to do? Okay. And what did they do? They put their hard hats on, and they got to work. Matt Ishbia put the team over the second apron with only six guys under contract, and they needed to figure it out. How do we pull the rabbit out of our hat? And James Jones absolutely found a way. They add Utah Watanabe, Chemezi Metu, Kata Bates-Diop, Drew Eubanks, and Eric fucking Gordon. Four of those five guys, tall as hell, have upsides, aren't pricey, all can shoot and space the floor. Eric Gordon is a three-point sniper. I love the fact that they did this. Utah Watanabe would have gotten so much more money if he didn't love playing with Kevin Durant. He is 6'8", versatile wing. He led the league last year in three-point percentage and effective field goal percentage. KD loves him. He loves KD. He can play defense on and off the ball. He can rebound. He can do all the little things that you want out of a player. He's a good-ass dude. People love him. He comes to the team on a vet min. On a vet min. Do you think anyone, Utah Watanabe included, comes to Portland on a vet min for Damian Lillard? No. The answer is no. Speaking of the Blazers, Drew Eubanks dips out. I think he saw the plane crash coming. He ended up getting his little parachute and flying to Phoenix. 6'10", another undervalued player. Legit backup center. He can start center if needed. He can score. He can rebound. He's very fucking tough. Very gritty. He can shoot for a, for a center. He can shoot 38% from three. He's an intense dude. He's going to bring fire to the team. He's going to show up every day. Maybe he'll muscle DeAndre Ayton a little bit in practice. He was on multiple 10 days and got a legit spot on the rotation for the Blazers. Even Eric Gordon is a great veteran to lead the second unit. He's going to probably get some closing minutes in the playoffs. He's going to be the guy that can get you a bunch of threes in the corner. That's what he does. 
He's Big Shot Bob. He's Big Shot Gordon. That's him. I don't even know how they did it, but they did it. Let's move forward to the moves that that are moves, but like, are they good moves? You know, like they're moves, but are we sure that they actually were good? Let's go with the Lakers because they did a lot. They did a bunch of stuff. Um, really, the metrics and the barometer about what you think about the Lakers off season is what you really thought about the Lakers this postseason. Do you think that this is real? Do you think they're a Western Conference Finals team again? Or do you think that they got lucky along the way? Do you think that they played teams that were on the last bit of fumes? Or, or do you think they, they played the Memphis Grizzlies at full strength? Okay. If you think they're real, then you love this offseason. If you think that they probably need to blow it up and probably start again, you probably don't. They didn't have a, a ton to pay. I do like get the Gabe Vincent signing. Get, they get him at the MLE, the mid-level exception, which is three years and $33 million. They pick up Torian Prince, which I don't hate because they only get him for one year. He's long. He's versatile. He can do some things. They re-sign D'Angelo Russell. Ugh. But they don't have to pay him a lot. Two years, $37 million. $18.5 million for D'Lo is about right, especially considering he was making $31 million last year. So if you can get him on a two-year deal for basically what he was making last year. That's not horrible. He's a pretty good shooter. He stinks on defense. He's like not someone you want in the playoffs. But what are you going to do? You couldn't lose him for nothing. So that's how this is right now. This NBA game isn't like, oh, you lose D'Lo, you have $37 million that you can spend. It's like you lose D'Lo, you've got nothing to spend. Cam Reddish you get basically for free. He's on a veteran minimum. He's still young. What is he, 24? I don't even think he's 24. He has upside. Maybe he rehabilitates his career under LeBron. Maybe he's a spark plug off the bench. Maybe he's like the new Lonnie Walker. They end up re-signing Austin Reeves for nothing. I don't know how Austin Reeves decided to come back for four years and $56 million. I thought Austin Reeves would get four years, $100 million. That's what I thought he would get. This is an outrageous contract. I, I really feel like Austin Reeves might be the steal of free agency. He took a hometown discount to stay with Braun and run it back. I get it. Rui Hachimura, I don't know about this one, guys. I don't know. I want Rui to be good. Three years, $51 million. If you would have picked him up as a free agent this offseason when he stayed in Washington, you'd probably get him three years, $30 million, to be honest. If he's the player that he was in the playoffs, then he's worth every penny. If he's the player every other minute of every other game that was not the nine games that he played in the playoffs, then it will not be worth it. Like, it will be a horrible signing. That's the problem with the Lakers offseason, that they did not get a shooter. Gabe Vincent is a career 33% three-point shooter. Rui Hachimura shot lights out in the playoffs, but I think he shoots like 17% from three in real life. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. Uh, that's worse than D'Lo. And he couldn't solve their three-point woes last year. Torian Prince can shoot the three okay, but again, he's on par with D'Lo. He's not a high-volume shooter. If the Lakers could figure out a way to get Buddy healed, I don't know how they do that, then maybe it's a success. As it stands, it's still a bit of a mystery. Moving forward, another team that 
is a little bit fascinating to me is the OKC Thunder. Why do they have so many guards? I don't understand it. How do they have eight of them? I want to meet Sam Presti next week and just be like, hey, could I ask you a question without you getting upset? Like, why do you have eight point guards? Are you the Orlando Magic? Are you, is this like a new thing that you guys are trying out? Like the, the full, full 15 man rotation, all guards. Mark Dagnall going to be the first coach in NBA history to run out of five guard lineups. I don't know. Someone's got to get moved. And it's like, it's not even like they're just drafting guards. They're also picking guards up off of like the European, like free market. I don't know. The big signing for them is Vasily Mychik. Mysik. I don't know how to pronounce his name well. Mysich. They get him for three years, $23.5 million. Who is Mysich? He's good. He's a crafty guard. 2021 EuroLeague MVP. One of the best passers in the entire world. He's incredible. He's going to be great somewhere. Is Sam Presti just stocking up his war chest just so he can move guys like I don't know what's going on it feels like every year Sam Presti does something where I'm like I don't get it (laughs) I don't know I know Uh, but I trust him I do he's one of those guys where I'm like he clearly sees something that I don't see their latest reclamation project they get Victor Oladipo they take on some additional draft picks that they absolutely do not need uh, $9.5 million that they take on from the Heat. They t- take on Davis Bertans, $33 million contract for more picks that they do not need. Uh, they take on uh, Patty Mills on an expiring $6.8 million, And then they draft Cason Wallace. Sir, what are we up to? They also get another international player, Jack White, Another guard, by the way, from the Australia, uh, he's from Australia, from the Nuggets. So like Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lou Dort, Kaysen Wallace, Patty Mills, Oladipo, Bertans. How many fucking guards? There's more, isn't there? There's more. Trey Mann? Trey Mann? Who else? Who else? Mysich, Isaiah Joe, why you have so many? Why? Anyway, and Sam we trust. I promise I trust him. It just doesn't make sense yet. The Milwaukee Bucks also moving forward are also a wait-and-see team. They re-signed Chris Middleton. They re-signed Brooke Lopez. Uh, apparently, by the way, the Houston Rockets are very fucking mad at Brooke Lopez. Apparently, they thought Brooke Lopez was going to be a rocket. They were going to fuck shit up for like the 2 to 38 wins per game for a year. And they're like, yeah, we're going to fuck up the West. We're going to win 38 games. Um, but they run it all the way back. Chris Middleton, three years, $102 million, which is wild because he turned down 40. So the other two, I don't know, fine. Brooke Lopez, two years, $48 million. They also add his brother as like a little sweetener. Oh, it's like, oh, Kelgin Blevins. Shockingly, they bring back Jay Crowder, who didn't even know what his role was on the team. He only re-signed probably because he knew that Budenholzer needed to be fired and his role was only undefined because it was 
bud. They lose Javon Carter, which Javon Carter probably on this team would have gotten some run because bud hated them. Uh, and jo- Joe Ingles also moves on. Adrian Griffin's going to build around this defense, probably the best league when healthy. Um, yeah, they need to figure it out. Their three-point shooting probably needs a little bit of an upgrade. Maybe you try to figure out if you can get Buddy Heald. They did get Malik Beasley, who hilariously Shams Sharanya said was a major pickup for the Milwaukee Bucks, which means Malik Beasley's agent wrote it for him. Um, Like, alert, alert, PR team, PR team. It's like when an athlete gets copy from the agency or from the brand that they're supposed to be doing a spot for and they forget to be like insert name and then they like just literally (laughs) copy and paste and it's like hi I'm insert name I'm here to represent Powerade that was basically what the Sham Sharanya tweet was also pretty nice signing no shade to Malik Beasley uh let's move forward though the strange moves we can't have a podcast talking about strange moves that no one understands without discussing the Toronto Raptors what are they doing? What's up? I don't know. They're one of two teams acting like it's 2019 and it's the good old free agency days instead of jumping in on the pra- trade parade. Trade your fucking players, Masai. They don't want to stay there. OG wants to leave. They're one of the few teams that are happy to underachieve and still let players walk away from nothing. Like, I don't understand it. Masai Jury has a history of letting talent walk out the door. Marcus All, Danny Green, Serge Ibaka, Kawhi, all of them. Gone, 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 gone. Four, zero. Kyle Lowry could have been traded before the deadline before he had to be signed and traded away for a Goran Dragic, who never played a game in a Toronto Raptors uniform, and Precious Achulia, who is just languishing in Toronto. You could have gotten a haul for him, too. There were plenty of teams like the Lakers who wanted to trade for him. Also Miami. But you wanted that. You wanted to get it all, and so you got almost nothing. Then Fred Van Fleet, he, they walk, he walks away for nothing. So can we just look at Masai's record? So they traded away a top-protected first-round pick for Jakob Pertle. They had to overpay to keep him in the offseason. They signed Otto Porter. That was atrocious. He barely played. I don't even think he played. Stanley Johnson stinks. He's a Drew League legend. Pat McCall only has a ring because he played for the Warriors. That's the only reason I know him is because of that. You get the picture. It's not good. This is a roster that is a play-in team. And they have a first-year head coach and a bunch of disgruntled starters who don't really know their role. And Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. Scotty Barnes has already unfollowed Fred Van Fleet, so there's some history there. This is a team that doesn't want to admit the facts. They need to rebuild. You've got players with redundancies at multiple positions. They believe there's more potential to this team than there is, and I do not see it. They cannot shoot. They cannot score. They're a bunch of long defenders. Let me just tell you now, in 2024, that shit does not work. OG and Gary Trent Jr. are the only shooters they have. Scotty Barnes, 29% shooter. Pascal, 32% shooter. Jalen McDaniels, 32% shooter. Just believe me. They're not shooters. Then what do they do? That was their big signing once Fred Van Fleet leaves? Oh, yeah, Dennis fucking Schroeder. Also, not a shooter. 32% from three on a mid-level exception. Hey, Masai, your point guards can't fucking shoot. They stink. So why do you want to keep this team together? I don't know. This roster is duck butter. This roster is straight cheeks. 
This team is going to go, I think this is like a 10 or 11 seed. Moving forward, another team that has made moves that I'm not so sure about being good, but I also kind of just don't think they're good. The Houston Rockets are making a massive splash. Ime Udoka wants to make moves. They want to get to winning, get to, what do they say, get busy living or get busy dying. That's the Houston Rockets right now. They made the biggest splash of the offseason. Fred Van Fleet, three years, $130 million. They give Dylan Brooks 80 over four. Why? What are you doing? Why? Why add all these vets, these, well, let's just be real, like kind of cantankerous, salty-ass vets too, when you have such a young team? Why add a point guard when you have a bunch of other point guards on this team? Why add a guy who's 5'11 on a good day with shoes on who is injury-prone? Also, not a great shooter, shoots with side spin, thumbs the ball a ton. Why get a non-shooting defender? This doesn't make a lot of sense for Houston. Maybe Ime Udoka. This is like literally an OKC thing. Like, I don't know. I trust Ime Udoka. Maybe he knows what he's doing. Maybe he knows something I don't know. I'm going to let it play out. They're going to be a fun team. There's lots of question marks surrounding them. They will not compete for anything, but they will be a lot of fun to watch. Moving forward, a lot of people love the Dallas draft day. They signed Kyrie also to a monster deal, three years, $126 million. That's about 30% more than pretty much anyone was going to pay. So why? Why'd they do it? Just to keep him happy. They didn't want him to force his way out again. Why? I don't know. I think their offseason, they got even worse. Where was Kyrie going to go? Where was he? What, what was he going to do? You going to go to L.A.? No. You're going to go to Houston? Okay. No. Which they did explore, by the way which would have been very funny. Kyrie, the Houston Rocket, would have been amazing. Him and Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. and Al- Oh, my God, I need it. Inject that into my veins. Anyway. Oh, yeah, Phoenix. Like, you're going to go to Phoenix? You, Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. What is this? OKC? Three-card lineup rolling out? I don't know. Anyway, what they did do is help their three-point shooting woes. They signed Seth Curry. That move makes Tim Hardaway Jr. He's very expensive, very expendable. Then they add Dante Exum, who comes back to the NBA. Apparently, his shot is fixed. They grabbed Rashawn Holmes. They brought back Dwight Powell, who I cannot believe is entering his 10th year as a Maverick. I thought he was 27. Guess not. Sam Quinn and all the others think that Dallas isn't done. Clint Capella's name keeps coming up in trade rumors. We are going to keep our eyes on the Mavs. Ooh, Tim Hardaway to the Hawks wouldn't be terrible. Because of right now, there's not anyone who believes that the Dallas Mavericks are any better than a 10th or 11th place team that they were last year. Let's go on incomplete. Philadelphia 76ers. They are... I have a small James Harden problem. It does not look like it's going to get fixed. We know that Daryl Morey is not going to let James Harden go for nothing. How do we know? Because he didn't let Ben Simmons go for nothing. He got James Harden for Ben Simmons. Okay? So everyone knew Ben Simmons stunk, and yet somehow he turned him into James Harden. So somehow he'll come out with Dame in this mix. Like somehow Daryl Morey will get Dame. Anyway, uh, Harden apparently was very unhappy with the hiring of Nick Nurse. Shocking. (laughs) We knew that that was going to be the case. Like what? 
Harden and Nick Nurse? No chance. Apparently, he wasn't terribly fond of Doc Rivers either, who basically got fired for trying to tell James Harden, hey, um, you need to, like, come to games. You can't go to Vegas and party with little baby uh, before game two of the Eastern Conference semifinals, okay? He wanted a long-term deal also. He gave a sweetheart deal to Daryl Morey and the 76ers on a two-year deal, hoping that he would get maxed out and that they gave them a real chance to sign guys like P.J. Tucker and Daniel House. And there was all this thing about how James Harden was unselfish and he just wanted to win. And guess what? Now he wants his money. And now they don't want to pay him his fucking money. So guess what? James Harden's like, time to look deep into my closet for that baby blue fat suit. And that's where we're at. We also know that Ime Udoka and the Houston Rockets don't want any part of James Harden. They never did, never will. No one in the NBA is very interested in Harden except for who? The LA Clippers. So Daryl Morey has all the leverage in this deal. Even though he loves Harden, he's not going to overpay for Harden. So James does what James does, which is opt into his player option and then says, hey, get me the fuck out of here. Time is a flat circle. This has the potential to get really ugly. And it appears that the Sixers are now out of the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. And that just now means that we will wait and see until James Harden decides whether he's going to sink another franchise. Also, really quick aside, this whole news story about Tyrese Maxey being untouchable is laughable. There are, I don't know if you've seen it, I don't really want to go into it, but the new story is that the Sixers will, would trade for Dame, but they won't give up Tyrese Maxey. <gasps> Not Tyrese Maxey? Like, come on now, let's get out of here. That's, that's outrageous. Let's move forward. Let's talk about the Miami Heat for a second. Uh, they are having a very strange offseason. They are all in on Dame. What happens if they don't get Dame? They will stink. They will fucking stink. They don't have Max Struess. They lose him. He goes to Cleveland. They go, they lose Gabe Vincent. And he goes to the Lakers. They lose Oladipo and Cody Zeller. They hold on to Kevin Love. And then they add the disappointments of Josh Richardson, who they spit out like a bad penny like four years ago to trade him for Jimmy Butler, if you remember, he was in that Jimmy Butler sign-in trade, and Thomas Bryant. And so now they just wait and see if the Blazers actually acquiesce to Damian Lillard's demand for one team and one team only, which is the Miami Heat. Uh, because if that doesn't happen, it's going to be hard times in South Beach. It's going to be some lean years. It's going to be really hard for this team to make it back to the playoffs let alone the finals free agents still on the market we still have pj washington grant williams christian wood kelly Oubre, who is rumored to be going maybe back to the golden state warriors which i think is absolutely no chance of happening and matisse thibel so we will see where these free agents end up or if there's any more news to come but for now Free agency was a bit of a dud, and Summer League is on its way. So we will be coming live and on the ground from Las Vegas all week. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. Check back for Summer League coverage. Uh, there will be many episodes that drop unexpectedly as well. Do not forget to download, subscribe, and tell your friends. And follow us on social at this Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter as long as Twitter's still around. See you next time, folks, and thanks for listening.